Father, Father, we thank you uh, for this evening that we can come together and um, and we can gather and we can sing songs about uh, the great love for which you have for us in sending Jesus um, to be among us. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And so, Father, we, we want to take time tonight to consider that, uh, Father, to, to, to pray through that, um, to sing through that, and to get all of this Christmas Advent season that we can uh, in our souls, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that you meet us in a, just in a special, unique way tonight as we, as we sing these, these songs that, that remind us of the season of Christmas, but really they impact every single day of our life in your kingdom. We're so thankful that, um, that when the fullness of time had come, that you sent forth your Son, Lord, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. That is the mystery and the miraculous thing about Christmas. And so we want to, we, we ask you to, to come and speak to us and to, and to be in our midst tonight. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Merry Christmas. I, I was thinking about... Um, you know, some different memories I have of Christmas growing up. You've got your own traditions. Uh, one of the funny things, and this is great because my mom is in the church now, but one of the funny things about Christmas growing up is one of the things I remember most is how when my, before my mom would get home from church, she would put all, you know, the, or from work, all the Christmas presents would be under the tree. I'd get off the bus. I'd come home, and I literally, for a couple years in a row, I would unwrap the presents while she was at work. And then I would wrap them back up, and then I would act surprised on Christmas morning. And so finally, she figured this out at one point, and she would literally tape every single crevice where you could kind of get into there. I don't know what your memories are about Christmas, but I hope that they have Jesus at the center of them. More and more, uh, as we, as we kind of go on as a society, uh, you see less and less of Christ in the middle of Christmas, don't you? And so we want to... We want to focus our gaze and, and place our attention on Jesus tonight and uh, worship him as the supreme Lord of the universe who came as a baby so that we could be saved. For me, the arrival of Jesus on the earth is a reminder that all of those unmet longings of my soul, you know, for life, for abundance, for freedom, are placed in our hearts by God and they're met in God. They're not illegitimate. So whatever it is that you're coming in here tonight, as, as you think about maybe things that are kind of undone, maybe they're kind of mysterious, they're not yet finished, I want you to know that God, God is, that those things are not illegitimate. Those concerns are not illegitimate. They're not supposed to be stuffed down. So as you come in here tonight, I want you to ask yourself this question. Where is your heart as you think about the longing, the deep longings of your soul? Where is the sadness that exists Where's the grief? But on the other hand, where's the joy and where's the, the gladness? Where are the gaps in your own yearnings? I want to consider this classic Christmas text from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 as we get into God's word tonight. And this was written through the Holy Spirit but by the wisest man other than Jesus that ever walked the face of the earth. He wrestled through the same things that you and I wrestle through. And Solomon writes this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. 
So what is Solomon declaring to us when he says that he's put eternity into man's heart? That we're never going to know everything that we wish we could, and that's okay. Because God has given us all the knowledge we need to experience eternal life, to have joy in this world, and to find delight even in the midst of the mystery that we might find ourselves in in this world. What we're going to see tonight is that some of the original audience that encountered Jesus were okay with this. They were okay with this mystery, and some of them were not. Some, like these wise men that we're going to look at tonight, surrendered in worship, and others, like King Herod, ratcheted up in fear and insecurity in an attempt to control the mysterious arrival of Jesus. But what I want you to know is this, that this eternal longing in our hearts is hand-formed into each of us. And because of this, those unmet longings that we experience in this world don't have to be suppressed. They don't have to be denied. Because there are parts of these longings, things like peace, wholeness, life, joy, and delight that may always be mysterious to us because they seem to be so unfinished. And to some degree, that's okay because God has ultimately given us everything that we need to experience him as full as we need to. He doesn't withhold anything from his children to harm or to punish us. Tim Keller once said this. He said, he said if, we knew every, if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives. Yeah, Brandon told me that he put the tiny in there. That's real clever, real nice. If we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what God gives. Think about that. Isn't most of the trouble that we have in this world, most of the sorrow that we have in our hearts, because we're so disappointed in what our experience in this world is. We're so driven by grief and and fear. So what does Jesus' arrival on this earth force us to deal with? It forces us to deal with the mystery. What will we do with the mystery? What mystery or eternal unfulfilled longings are swirling in your soul tonight as you come in here to worship Jesus? And here's our big idea for our homily tonight. In our search for meaning and satisfaction, only Christ provides enough of God to satisfy our heart's yearning. So the Holy Spirit used each gospel author, you know, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Brandon, can I get you to turn the lights up a little bit? These guys are in the dark, and we're talking all about light. It just doesn't make sense. Thanks. Um, you know, as we think about the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, the, the, gospel, the authors of the gospel that were, you know, superintended by the Holy Spirit as they wrote down the life of Jesus, they wrote kind of with different angles on each of them. They had, they, had so, they, they had so much content that they could have put into those, into those gospel narratives. The book of Matthew, in particular, was written with a specific agenda, a specific take, a specific slice on Jesus' life. And it was really all about how the Gentiles were included. So the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles, were included in God's covenantal promises, that they were included in redemption. So this is why, like, in, in, in Matthew chapter 1, you read the genealogy. And Matthew is careful to include the Gentiles that are a part of the genealogy of Jesus, the story of Jesus. And that's why in Matthew chapter 2, in our chap- there are verses that we're looking at tonight in verses 1 through 11, we see the appearance of Jesus on the earth and how it affects two different Gentiles, two different groups of Gentiles. We have the wise men or the magi on one hand, 
who respond um, in a favorable fashion. They, they respond in, in such a way that, that leads to worship. And then we see Herod, who's another Gentile a king, um, who, who responds in a very negative way, a very reactive way, a very fearful way. So as we read this passage tonight, I just simply want you to ask two questions, okay? The first one is this, and this is kind of, as you look at Scripture, you can, as you, and you seek to apply it, you can always kind of ask these questions. What is the Lord doing? So kind of the indicative of the passage. What is God doing in the passage? And then how are we called to respond, or how are people responding to this? So let me reread Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and I want you to consider those two questions. Where is the Lord in it? What is God doing? And then how are people responding? And then we'll dig into that together. So let me read it for us in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And this is from Micah chapter 5. Verse 2, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod responds, and he, he summons the wise men secretly, and he ascertains from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So what do we see the Lord doing? Where is the Lord present in this passage? Well, one of the things that I see the Lord doing is I see the Lord meeting each and every person exactly where they are in life. You know, I think it'd be easy to expect um, for us to, to think about, like, and even thinking about your own life, it's easy to consider the Lord meeting you when you're preparing to meet the Lord. It's another thing for the Lord to meet you when you're not expecting it, right? So the Lord's presence is unmistakably seen through this, this star, this, this prophecy from the prophet Micah in chapter 5, verse 2, this, this star that will, that will shine and will be proof of God's presence with his people. And, and it's also seen through Jesus being born in Bethlehem. So the actual presence of Jesus being in the home that, that resides under this star. So the Magi, they come from the east. It's probably Persia or Babylon. We're not sure. But they come to Herod and get this. They say, and this is to the king of the Jews, the, the, province, the province, the Roman province uh, of Israel. The king that's overseeing that, over, you know, um, in charge of that is, is Herod. And, uh, and they say this pretty offensive statement, if you think about it. They say, where is the king of the Jews? 
If you think about it, I mean, Herod's kind of the king of the Jews, right? They say, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? And, um, and it's a pretty offensive statement, especially to a man that's as insecure as Herod. Now, I had heard stories as I'd, I'd studied, you know, the, 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 the traditional Christmas text each year and even read some stuff about Herod. But it wasn't until I went to Jerusalem that I saw with my eyes just how insecure uh, King Herod was. Um, there's this little, <clears throat> there's this little um, city basically outside of Jerusalem called Masada. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before. But basically, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, 30 or 45 minutes outside of Jerusalem. And it was basically Herod's bug out house. I mean, this guy was so insecure that he built a bug out like city. So that when everything kind of, you know, fell apart, he had a place to go. And I thought, man, now I get it. How insecure is this guy that he, that he has even a whole city that, to escape to? And uh, so he was appointed king of the Jews under the authority of Rome, and, and he was known as this dangerously insecure man. Uh, man. And, and C.S. Lewis even said this one time. He said, I'd rather be Herod's pig than his wife because he was known to kill those who got close to him because of his insecurity. Herod is searching for meaning and purpose in life, just like you and I are. The news of someone greater than he, with more purpose that he could find in his life, is threatening to Herod. It's not a comfort to him. He resists this idea and begins to scheme and manipulate his way into squashing the threat. This is why he's kind of secretly maneuvering with the wise men on how to find out about this. And we'll go, you could go on to read in Matthew chapter 2 where he, where he puts this kind of a mandate to kill all of the children in Bethlehem that are under the age of two, right? He's, he's trying to squash the threat. He's scheming to deal with the threat, and he plans to use the magi as bait, these wise men, but the Lord will not have it happen. But you notice on the other side of this, the magi are drawn from their search in the east all the way to Israel. The foreign astrologers, they don't know the secret they don't know the holy text of, of, of the scripture that the Israelites know. Um, instead, they have their own mystical approach to, to hammering out and discovering these deep, unmet longings in their own souls. These wise men were not kings, but they served kings. They were astrologers. They were men who gained a perceived special insight from their observations of planets and stars. So if we were to read the Old Testament, these proclaimed wise men would have been perceived as wicked, right? So just imagine taking your nativity set out. We've got a little nativity set on our, uh, uh, on our fire, above our fireplace, on our hearth there. And um, so just imagine taking out your nativity set and taking those well-dressed wise men that, you know, were, were supposedly at, you know, present at the birth of Jesus, which they, it was after that, but we, we don't have to go there tonight. I won't get into that. I won't, I won't, you know, I won't pull that card where I just, you know, blow up Christmas for you. So I won't, I won't do that tonight. But, but I want you to take those guys out. Think about this. Take those well-dressed wise men out who are just standing there overseeing the birth of Jesus with their treasures. And I want you to place them, replace them with witches. Because that's really what, what it would have been like. These guys were not looking for God the same way that the Jews were. On its face, these men would have represented um, a detestable people to the Jewish leaders. These are not the type of men that you would expect to be the first to search out, find, and worship King Jesus. 
and yet they are. So what we have is this, these, pa- these pagan witch doctor astrologers prancing into King Herod's territory and asking to see who, the one who's born king of the Jews. And the arrival of Jesus meets these men who have been looking for significance and meaning in their own lives in all the wrong or unacceptable places to the Lord. And they're drawn to a position of worshiping Jesus. God can meet anybody in any place and draw them to himself, church. Do you know that? This is evidence from the very outset of Jesus' appearance on this earth. If you're anything like me, you often fall short of your own expectations. Does anybody feel like maybe you should be a little more sanctified than you are? You know, a little further along in life. My question to you is this, is how is Jesus meeting you in the place that you are, not the place that you wish you were this season? I mean, if these guys were Jewish and memorizing the Torah, perhaps we could see this coming, right? We could see Jesus showing up to those people. But that's just not the way that grace works, is it? When I think about my own journey to find meaning and acceptance in this world, it wasn't me who made the first move. It was God who showed up and met me, just like he showed up to these wise men in a very unexpected way in their search. So my question to you is this, is how might the Lord be showing up even today in your life, in a way that you didn't expect? How might he be giving us all that we need for eternal life and joy and delight in this world, even though we don't have all the answers and we still have to deal with the mystery of our own stories? How might Jesus be doing that in your own story? So here's what we see. We see, we see where's the Lord in the story, but then we also have this question is how are people responding? We've, we've touched a little bit on this, but the first thing we see is we see insecure unbelief. We see this in Herod. I'm pretty quick to judge Herod, but here's the deal. <clears throat> As you think about your own story, like anything was possible with Herod. He was a bloody king. He killed people for sport. I mean, it was, it was bad. But as you think about your own story, really there's nothing, there, there's no telling what each, each of us are capable of. In fact, we, we, we say at New City Church, one of, the, one of the kind of the metrics for our own sanctification is uh, if we ever get to the place where we say, uh, where we think we are above certain sins, then we're probably in a dangerous place. And so kind of a, a phrase or a statement that we often use at this church is, I wouldn't put it past me to do the same thing. When you're in a right place with the Lord, you kind of think that way about yourself. So let's not judge Herod too harshly, but because some of us have been running from Jesus for all of our lives. And we're here just with a family member or because we feel like we should be here on Christmas and an Easter. And uh, some of us, you know, we might be running from Jesus on the outside. Other, others of us might be running from Jesus on the inside. We're secretly running and we're the most dangerous ones because we play the part on the outside, but our hearts are far from the Lord. Herod's hope in life was to retain power and to grow in power. To him, the only way to be secure in this world Um, And to have joy in this world was to be in control. And sometimes we're not too far off from that, are we? Maybe you're here and you don't have faith in Jesus. You may have everyone in the world tricked, but in your heart of hearts, maybe you're just miserable. Maybe you're so tired of running the rat race, keeping all the plates spinning and maintaining control, and you find yourself this Christmas season anxious and burned out. And I'll just propose this to you. Maybe you feel that way because you were never made to be in control. Jesus once said to a crowd of disciples that were anxious and burned out, 
He said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Church, do you find yourself in a place where you need rest during this season? Because Jesus has come to me because his burden is easy and his yoke is light. When we learn to work in God's kingdom, to live in God's kingdom under the yoke of Jesus, it doesn't mean that it's easy, but it means it's possible. That's, that's what God has in store for us. And we see the Magi kind of leaning into this. We see, here's what we see with the Magi. We see this earnest worship of Jesus from these, these pagan rulers. We see this amazing thing happen. They, think about this. They drop everything that they're doing. They travel likely over a 1,000 miles by foot, confront a foreign king with the bold news that his reign is ultimately illegitimate, and they fall down and they humbly worship a nearly homeless child that's born to teenage parents and give their wealth to the family to indicate their heartfelt worship, sacrifice, and surrender to the child king. Think about that story. Doesn't that blow your mind? Can you imagine what was going through Mary and Joseph's mind when this happened? As they, these, these magi show up at their door, you know, and think, think about where they'd been. I mean, Caesar wanted this census uh, because he wanted an indicator of how powerful of a king that he was. And so they had to leave, they had to leave Nazareth while Mary was pregnant, and they had to go down to Bethlehem where Joseph's family was from, and they're staying in this barn in Bethlehem because there's no place for them to stay because of the census, and people show up to worship their son outside of this barn. I mean, could you imagine what's going through their mind? And this is all because this was God's plan from the beginning, to redeem us by sending his son in the form of a man to relate to us, bear with us, love us, church, and ultimately save us. Isn't he worthy of our worship. He meets each and every one of us where we're at, not where we think we should be at. What would it look like for you to worship Jesus unashamedly like that magi? To surrender everything, to sacrifice, and to give of yourself in such a way, just like they give their treasures to him. I'm reminded of this quote from St. Augustine. This is probably his most popular quote. I promise I've read more stuff by him, though. <clears throat> you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Church, are you restless this evening? Are you distracted? Are you anxious? Are you burdened? Have you considered how the king might be meeting you exactly where you're at? Not where you hoped that you would be at at this point in your life through his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection on your behalf. Because he is a king that meets us exactly where we're at. Maybe like these wise men, you need to spend some time seeking him out, seeking his faith, not just going along with traditions. And maybe as you discover him more and more, more and more of who he really is. Maybe God is calling you to actually worship him, to actually sacrifice and surrender your life, not just to go through the motions, and to give of yourself of evidence of the treasure that he really is to you because he's so worthy of it, church. Let's pray together.
Father, we, we want to come to you tonight again and thank you that while we were a long way away, we were far off from you, you came near to us. None of us have ultimately been born looking for you in this world, Lord. And if we have, we've been looking for you in all the wrong places. Father, when the fullness of time come, you'd sent your son, born of a virgin, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, as Galatians 4 says. And Father, uh, we need Jesus. Uh, We need him to fulfill our heart's longings and our soul's longings, Father. And Lord, we may have everybody tricked in the world but you. So Father, would you show us how to come to you? Would you show us what surrender looks like? What it looks like to rest under your care, under your love, and to be more deeply knit into fellowship with you through your son Jesus this Christmas season. And we pray that you would give us that, Lord, in deeper and deeper measure, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.